Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network, your SEC podcast of record. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. That is something new to the intro. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Well, since you sandbagged our entire podcast last week at the beginning by telling people, like, what if we just told people it was a small show? I thought we'd have the biggest show in the we history. We have a huge show planned this week for you guys. <laughs> the biggest show in the history of this show. And I honestly cannot wait to, to hang out with you today, Aaron, because we've got we've got two top 10 matchups. Yep. In college football that could decide the SEC championship on on and at least the divisional championships on both sides. So we will talk uh, all about Tennessee and Georgia and LSU and Alabama. We have college football playoff rankings and a new number one for the first time in the history of the playoff. We've got a coach that's been fired and an athletic director that's been stolen from another divisional rival the same week that they're playing. There is just this is if you are an SEC football fan, this is the week. These are the weeks that you live for. I, I cannot wait. We got Seth Emerson from The Athletic who's going to join us to break down the where everything's at for Georgia, the matchup with Tennessee. Joseph Goodman from AL.com who's literally, literally written books about Alabama football and the state of Alabama. We're going to talk about uh, Brian Harson, who exactly was Brian Harson as a person, as a coach. There's a story about Brian Harson's wife in that conversation, so you're not going to want to miss those interviews and of course, we'll give you some candidates for the job now that the Auburn job is finally open. There is just so much to discuss. Who uh, was who was Brian Harson? Braden acts like he's passed away in the most <laughs> dramatic episode of Fringe Element ever. Brian Harson has figuratively passed away. I didn't realize that a podcast could commit crimes, but we have murdered someone apparently on the show. We did not mean to. Who uh, was no. he? Brian Harson will probably go on to, again, as we've said a million times, Brian Harson will probably go on to be a fine coach somewhere else. It just ain't going to be at Auburn. And uh, so the the it's finally happened. It's taken place. Uh, they've got their AD. Things are starting to fall into place. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Again, Joseph Goodman from AL.com, Seth Emerson from The Athletic. We've got two top 10 matchups to discuss, and we've got college football rankings to discuss. So there is so much to do on the show today. Cannot wait to do it before we discuss all of those fancy and amazing and wonderful topics. However, Fringe Element is brought to you by J.E. Dunn, the world's gleaming light of the workforce. Wait, I fucked that up. No, I, I think it's I think it's a gleaming light. Gleaming light. Yeah. Why couldn't yeah. it be a gleaming light? I said of the workforce, but I meant like, like in the in the employment industry realm. Yes. Realm. OK, like a shining beacon. Yeah. Like a shining beacon of culture and commitment to excellence and passion towards employees, success and health and safety and productivity. Uh, uh, the North J Star. The North, the North Star of American employment. Yes. JEDunn.com. <laughs> Go check them out. No, seriously, again, we joke, but top 100 healthiest place to work voted the best place to work in Nashville, which I'm assuming that means they're voted best place to work in every other city. I can't confirm that, but I'm just going to say it. That's another that transitive property example. Exactly. If, if they're voted the best in Nashville and Nashville is the best in the country... Yeah. And by the transit of property. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think we can I can think we can make that leap. If if you lose by a field goal on the road to the number one team in the nation, doesn't that make you basically almost the number one team in the nation? Ish. I'm not I mean, I'm not that's actually not a joke. I actually kind of mean that. Like we'll we'll discuss the rankings here in just a second because depends on if it's fourth quarter Mizzou against Georgia and because oh yeah, there you go. Because oh my god, 
Uh, all the, the world is the world is is losing their minds in a playoff ranking that literally means absolutely nothing for the championship of college college football because there's like five more weeks to go. Correct. Um, people are losing their minds about the the secret SEC cabal that runs the world. Like this is like. <laughs> This gone, is like it's gone too far, people. This, this is like some 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 dark web, deep internet <laughs> stuff. Yeah, here with, stay off Reddit, guys. <laughs> with the SEC. <laughs> well, there, here's the deal, and let's get into the rankings here first because we got a lot to discuss. JDunn.com. If you're looking to make a change in your career, go check them out. Again, if you want to be inspired and fulfilled and and taken care of the way an employer really should with their employees, JDunn.com. You don't need any. You don't need any background or or sort of like experience in the construction world per se. They've got jobs in every walk of their business. Tell them we sent you. And, and also... Please tell them we sent you. <laughs> don't go go up with J.E. Dunn instead of down with the economy. If you want to need a job, the economy's Whoa. plummeting. Whoa. I'm just the, saying the, the economy's, economy's not plummeting. Settle down back there. I literally don't watch the news, so I don't fucking know. Gas prices have been going down for like 200 straight days. Anyway, um, okay, so now let's let's talk about these rankings here for a second because there is a... There is a cottage industry, and I'm, I, there's a great story here to be told about Tennessee. I think Kirby Smart is the happiest man alive right now. Yep. And we'll discuss why Bama ahead of TCU is totally fine. But but again, that's sort of part of the conversation. There is a cottage industry. This For you SEC fans, there's a cottage industry of folks that have made a living trying to convince you of some deep state conspiracy against the rest of college football, and that the SEC even though they win almost all of the championships and produce more NFL players than anybody else, don't let those two facts get in the way of a good story, that there is somehow a committee of people deciding our playoff rankings who are from, this is not a joke, the committee is full of people from Michigan, Nebraska, Penn State, Kansas State, Wake Forest, NC State, Navy, Colorado, among others, there is somebody from Texas A&M and Kentucky, but I would assume that the every conference should be represented, so I have no problem with that. And, and that that there is that that those people are somehow trying to prop up and support the SEC because of some secret deep state bias towards the conference that happens to always win everything and produces the best players. I don't understand. I don't think fans should take the bait. I think you should just laugh it off as jealousy, as just thirsty. I want to be like the SEC, and I don't know why people get engaged on the internet about this stuff. I don't know why we do it. So It's like love, or, love him or hate him. It's still an obsession. But, I mean, it's just hard because at the end of the day, it's this huge argument and the controversy about who gets in. But then even when teams do get in, they don't win. That aren't the SEC. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, well, Ohio's... that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. No, there's a but couple. The... There's a couple. Yeah, and and but... it's not. It's not. This is not meant to be a knock on how good Ohio State could be this year. Like they could no. be great, or Michigan, or Clemson, or what, or TCU for that matter. But uh, my point is not about the specifics of the teams. Yours who... is just about taking the bait of the. There is no larger. There is no larger deep state conspiracy that's propping up the sec the sec doesn't need your fucking help they're just better than you okay they've been dropping f-bombs already today they just they just are they just are better and i don't know what else you need to know other than they make more money other than maybe the big 10 they make basically more money and have higher attendance they put more players into the nfl and they win all the championships like i don't know what, what other metric can you measure success by 
And uh, so anyway, okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Tennessee, Tennessee, number one in the nation. Let's just take a second to appreciate the story. Because again, the rankings don't matter. We're going to find out about Tennessee and Georgia this weekend. But just for a second, acknowledge in less than two years to go from uh, firing your athletic director, firing your head coach, putting in place a new chancellor, NCAA and violations, 30 plus players in the portal to do all of that, to go from less than two years from that to number one in the playoff rankings with a bullet is, I I just think it's an extraordinary story and we need to acknowledge how extraordinary it truly is. It's hard to, it really is hard to imagine going from where they were to this and how, I mean, obviously you look to the coaching changes and you look to Josh Heupel and what he's been able to do, but it's always more than one thing. What do we think? What is it besides just Hypel and the system that he's put in place and kind of the culture he's created with the players? Like, is there any other tangible things you can put your hands on? Cause that's a lot of changes just to give to a head coach. I, I think there's it's lightning in a bottle, kind of a, a lot of forces coming together at once. And frankly, if they beat Georgia over the weekend, I think a lot of this will come, will be a part of that, which is, you know, you 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 were so low with Pruitt and Fulmer culturally and from a people standpoint, it was so bad. The one thing he didn't do poorly was recruit. He did bring in good pieces. So there were a couple of nice pieces. Darnell Wright's turning into a star. Cedric Tillman. Josh Heupel went and got Hendon Hooker. Hooker happens to be an, an elite superstar who is playing in this scheme nearly perfectly. I think their schedule has set up this year to be really, you know, you play UT Martin after Alabama, right? Like there's just... Right. You got LSU early in the year instead of having to play them late in the year when they're clearly better now as a football 100%. team. Like, so there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of just like things come together sometimes and that's sports. Like that's, right. that's what sports is. But I, to me, it's number five in complete control of an offense that is working who with a coach who's changed the culture and they have some nice weapons on the outside. The schedule sets up. They play a great couple of games, and all of a sudden, they're number one. Like I just think it's, you know, can they be number one for the next five years? I have no idea. Who cares? Right, right now, right. they're number one. Doesn't matter. They, they may not be number one next week. <laughs> True. True. No, yeah, just the, the speed at which that program's turned around has been, you know, incredible. And then in a in a game game to game scenario, they um, they just are a fast team on the field too. They can make things happen quickly and the programs yeah. turned around quickly yeah. and they're just lightning in a bottle is a good way to put it. And, and again, they have the best resume in all of college football. That's why they're number one. They have the best wins. And if you were to, again, I saw people complaining about LSU being number 10 is a resume booster. And I'm like, dude, Tennessee doesn't need a resume boost. You could put LSU at 20 and they would still be the, they would still have the best resume in college football. So and again, why would somebody who's on the committee from Penn State, Michigan, and Nebraska be propping up the SEC? Just ask yourself that question for two seconds before jumping on Twitter uh, and listening to people that are clearly doing it to get a rise out of you. Because yeah. I'm assuming the you in this conversation, you audience members, are SEC football fans. <laughs> so you have to. Just... If you're if you're not, you really have problems. <laughs> That's true. Which we welcome because if you're that obsessed with the league and you're listening to SEC content, then way to go. Good for you. Um, you know who loves the rankings, though? Number three, Georgia Kirby Smart, the defending national champs who are undefeated, who host Tennessee, who are an eight-point favorite this Saturday. I guarantee you the the, the number three, just a, just a printout of the number three, is probably plastered everywhere in every room, in every hallway, in every meeting room, in every locker across the entire Georgia campus right now. Number three, 
No one thinks you're good enough to be number one. No one thinks you're good enough to be number two. Number one's coming to our house on Saturday. They don't know what's up. Kirby Smart loves it. Loves it. Oh, 100%. And I think that we talk about this when Saban, if they, I mean, you know, rarely does it happen that Alabama's lower, well, I mean, even six in the rankings. It's, you know, it's not a norm for Alabama. And I would say that both coaches do like that underdog positioning better than they like the expectation of being number one. You're right. They're going to have a chip on their shoulder. Um, they love sitting back and not having the pressure of that. I think Nick Saban would also not have a problem with where they were in the rankings if it wasn't if it wasn't due to some actual gaps in like what Alabama is used to. I think because that the six is a little bit more justified than I think Nick Saban would like it to be. Um, but normally, neither of those coaches would mind sitting back a little bit in the rankings and letting things fall into place and let you know. Ohio State fan, Tennessee fans go right, right, crazy, right. and Ohio State live its life, and then they're just like, "We're well, we're, and we're good here." I think your point is kind of that Alabama has some flaws, and that Nick Saban doesn't really love the fact that his team has some flaws. They're clearly a different team on the road, and we'll talk about that game coming up a little bit later on. Yeah, he doesn't gets, like the fact that they might deserve to be in that. Right, spot. right. But Georgia just hasn't played number, just hasn't played Tennessee yet. So Georgia may also have some of those flaws. We're going to talk to Seth, Seth Emerson about this because that is the question. Mm-hmm. about Georgia and Tennessee, which is what what is Georgia? Who are they? Right. Are they the team that beat Oregon, number eight Oregon, 49 to three, who has five-star talent three deep into their roster, uh, a mature program that has competed in championship settings for the better part of five, six, seven years now, and they're at home in an environment that Tennessee, frankly, has not faced this year. It, like, is that the Georgia we're going to see? And they're just going to turn it on the final month of the season and we're going to see all the potential realized? Or are they the team that couldn't, sc- you know, was down two scores to Missouri in, in the second half? So like that, that is the ultimate question about Georgia. and We don't know what they are. Seth Emerson is going to help us answer that question coming up in just a minute. So stay tuned. Um, quickly, Alabama uh, over TCU, TCU being undefeated. Uh, to me, Aaron, if you look at Alabama's resume, people are complaining about Bama. I'm like, Bama's resume. I don't understand the complaint about Bama's resume. They have a road win over a ranked Texas team. They have a road win over a pretty decent Arkansas team by like three touchdowns without their quarterback. They beat AM without their quarterback. They destroyed Mississippi State on the road, a pretty solid, uh, or at home, excuse me, a pretty solid Mississippi State team. And this is the most important point that I don't think fans understand. And I would apply this to every team in every conference. Hit them with it. If Michigan goes to play Ohio State at the end of the year and it is a 52-49 game and Michigan loses and that's their only loss and Ohio State's number two, isn't Michigan basically number two as well? Like if, if you're Alabama and you lose to number one Tennessee because one guy made a field goal and the other guy didn't, isn't by definition those two teams basically even? I mean... Or aren't, aren't those two teams basically even? Excuse my grammar. But I mean like... That's a little simplified, but but like so so Oregon loses forty nine to three to Georgia. You cannot right. make the case that those two teams are basically even. That loss shows okay. us that they're not even. Yes, this is true. My point with Alabama, Tennessee, or any close game between two really good teams is that if it's very very close, especially if the losing right. team is on the road. Well, if anything, that loss people are like, oh, Alabama lost. They have to be behind TCU. I'm like, TCU didn't play number one Tennessee on the road. True. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Okay, I see what you're saying. Like if, first... t- if, if TCU had a loss and their mm-hmm. loss was to number two Ohio State by a field goal, by a field goal in the horseshoe, I'd be like, TCU is just as good as Ohio State. Like, 
You, you see what I'm seen, saying? I do. I think that 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 case makes sense. The reasoning behind it makes sense to me. It's just we see what happens with you, you know, you, what you just mentioned with Georgia, because it's kind of like they are both things. They did beat Oregon by, you know, however many touchdowns. What, eight? <laughs> um, <laughs> Seven, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they did. They also almost blew it to Missouri in the fourth quarter. Um, I think it was at the end. No, they, no, they, they were they were trailing the entire game. They had to come back, and they they came back and dominated the fourth ba- quarter. and barely beat. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Um, but it was too close for comfort for any Georgia fan, and it was sure. definitely surprising to everybody that follows college football and the SEC in general. So that's that's the complexity of it. Is your reasoning makes sense, but then you also see teams that they are both of these things. I mean, they are they were they more recently almost were trailing Missouri than they beat Oregon by that much. That was, you know, weeks and weeks later. Um, So like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of, you kind of are both things. And unless you are, I just don't think that they are the completely perfectly oiled system that both them and Alabama have been in the past. Um, But there is a lot. I mean, it's all over the board kind of. No, I just think that when you are in this top five, six, seven, where you are splitting hairs between how good all these teams are, right? You're trying to find the minute detail that separates team A from B and C from D. And again, like Clemson and Michigan, I think Michigan's the better team. They've been far more dominant, but Michigan's schedule is garbage compared to Clemson's. They have better wins. So I understand the committee putting them ahead, even though I might think Michigan's the better team. Right. I just think that if you're TCU in Alabama and you're arguing resume, TCU has trailed by two touchdowns 100% yeah. in all these games and has and not they, played Tennessee and they figured out how to come back and win. And that's great. They deserve to be ranked in the top tier, which they are. But if I'm Alabama and I'm comparing the resumes to TCU, first of all, not only do I just think Alabama is the better team, if they played each other, Alabama would be like a two touchdown favorite, which again is not a reason to rank them ahead. I just think they're better. So that's my reason. I think they have better players and the yeah, best them co- being better is a reason it's to rank in, them ahead. in theory. That's the committee's job. <laughs> But if you're breaking down the resume, my point is, is that not, not all losses are created equal. Right. And, and the zero is not automatically better than the one in the loss column. It's just not. Because if you have not played anybody or have not played the toughest teams in America, especially on the road, then that's then how can you say that TCU's resume is better? Like I don't I actually think my point is is that I think a loss can actually add value to your resume if it's the right kind of loss. I agree. When you talk about playing Hendon Hooker in this Tennessee offense, which has just been completely dominant and off the charts in terms of efficiency. I mean, they don't even allow the Tennessee defense isn't allowing more than like 90 yards a game. I mean, you you're right. There is there is some value to that. And I also if you're TCU, you don't want to be overhyped. Like try to surprise people. You <laughs> right, know, it's right. like it's the opposite mentality of what we just talked about with Nick Saban right. and Kirby Smart, which is like enjoy where it is. And then if you can come out and surprise people, great. And again, this is not an Alabama apology thing here. This is a, mm, I, th- no. I, I think the rational way to look at losses like that one. Again, I would say the same thing about Michigan. If Michigan is 11 and zero, and they go to Ohio state, who's number one in the nation at the time. And, and they play a 52 49 game where they lose on a field goal on the last second, even though they could have won the game on their own field goal, just a possession earlier. Right. To me, that says that Michigan and Ohio state are even that they are even football teams and that Michigan shouldn't fall in the rankings because of that loss. If Tennessee goes to Georgia this weekend and loses 52 to 49 on the road against the defending national champions who are undefeated to me, that says they're basically even with Georgia and I, they should, and the rankings 
should should bear should bear that out in my opinion. I agree. I, that's yeah. I think I think that's that's sound reasoning, Braden. If you go lose to some team that's not ranked by three touchdowns, that's different. <laughs> it is. Yes, you're right. It can when you losing to someone like Tennessee, like you're saying, in a way that's not uh, right, right. that is not glaring it in your face is could be is better than playing nobody. So uh, we're gonna get to Seth Emerson here real quickly. Just just when when I say Tennessee Georgia two thirty Saturday God's time two thirty uh, Saturday on on CBS. What are you thinking? What comes to mind? Is it matchups? Is it star power? Is it drinking booze? Like what is it that you're? And I've been to a Tennessee Georgia game in Athens. It is so much fun. Uh, just what what is it that that first pops into your head when you think about the game? Well, I am thinking about how my best friend from home. Like my parents' best friends, like we grew up together, he is getting married on Saturday. Oh, Jesus. And I'm pissed. Oh, so <laughs> because, you're going you're going to the wedding. Oh my God. Yeah, I have to. But there what I will say. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I called him yesterday and was like, what are we doing? Honestly. Fall, um fall they're getting wedding, married man. at five. So that will be I will be sitting oh, in the back. Right in the second half. <laughs> yep. So there's that. Um, All right. What about what about on the field? What do you think about? <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm thinking about what I'm gonna miss. I mean, tennis. I so I think it's gonna be very very telling. Of I, I don't think anything that Tennessee. If Tennessee blows it this weekend, obviously that shows us something about ten, like something new about Tennessee. But I'm not sure that my opinion can be drastically altered by the final score of this game. I still think Tennessee is who we think they are which is um, a powerhouse offensively um, has been improving defensively week to week and yeah. who beat and knocked off an Alabama team. Um, and I just don't, I don't know what it would take for this game to change my opinion of what Tennessee's capable of. What if it's, what if it, what if Georgia just stomps the shit out of them? What does a stomp look like? What do you mean? I mean, I'm not, I'm not picking that, but what if it's 42 to 17? The way it was last year, like Tennessee looks good for a quarter and a half, and then the crowd and the Georgia defense, and so they've got something figured out, and Hooker just can't hit the deep shots, and they've stopped the run with their defensive line, and you know they Tennessee can't stop Georgia's rushing attack, and all of a sudden it gets away, and Georgia wins fairly easily. I mean, that's I think, the difference between a close loss and a blowout loss is how we perceive the team. I feel like, yeah, I think that's true. I, I don't. I can't foresee that happening. I know that's not what you're saying either. You don't think that's going to happen. We're just trying to figure out what it would take to knock, get us yeah. off our Tennessee high horse or off the pedestal that we're looking at them on. Um, I don't see, I can't imagine that happening unless Tennessee makes a shit ton of mistakes. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess I'd have, I'd be confused probably. I, I don't um, like to, to me, it would say that maybe they don't belong in the playoff, but I don't know. Like, mm. I, I don't know. Maybe I like so at the end of the day, Tennessee has just it's not like one thing, it's all the things. I mean, yeah. it's the ability their ability to score quickly. Like, I think it's like 35 of their 66 scoring drives, like, were in under two minutes. Yeah. I mean, they can like lightning in a bottle, like you said earlier. That might be a good podcast name, Braden, but um, <laughs> just the what they've been able to do Light, lightning in a huddle, you like that? 
Lightning in a huddle. Yeah, that's good too. Not bad. Not bad. Um, we'll workshop it. <laughs> the just the, the chunk plays that they're able to put together, the fact that they're capitalizing on other teams' mistakes. It's like Tennessee's putting all these things together all at once, and that's why it's working. I mean, their turnover, I yeah. mean, the you know, teams making mistakes in Tennessee not only, you know, uh taking possession of the ball back, like the ball is being turned over and Tennessee not only gets it back, but then they're scoring. There's just a, so many things that Tennessee and I think the defense was like a little bit slower to like to come together, but at this point, I think they're peaking. I mean, they're they peaked. They, and they just. I, mean, I think they, just, they could sit there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, they destroyed Kentucky's offensive line and Will Levis, so um, that that was extremely impressive. Um, there are, I think, there are two matchups in which the game will be decided. Uh, I'm going to ask Seth Emerson about those two matchups, and we'll discuss our final predictions in those matchups after the conversation with Seth Emerson from the Athletic. Does that sound good? Let me guess. I haven't heard this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let me, let me, let me. The okay. Two so for, for the two matchups between like the game within the game. Yeah. Oh, I like this. This is fun. <laughs> um, the O line. Well, it'll give, to give me the matchup. Like what's the matchup? What do you X, mean? X versus X, like in football. Like Specifics? It, yeah. The there's, two, there's two matchups that we I was just going to say that. They, okay. Well, I, I hear you. But I, I was going with like, what are the determining factors of the game? And I was going to say being able, like playing on the outside and then also the O-line were like the two, the things that I think we're going to come down to for Tennessee. You're, you're dancing, you're dancing around it. We'll, 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 how about this? Let's let Seth talk. Okay. You guys can all hear Seth. He's going to talk about uh, where this game ranks in Georgia Sanford's this uh, stadium history. How how healthy is this team? Again, the the couple of matchups that we're talking about, lots of stuff from Seth uh, right here on Fringe Element. So we'll be back to give you our predictions. We still have lots to discuss with Auburn and Brian Harson being fired. We'll talk with Joseph Goodman a little bit later on. We got LSU Bama to talk about. There's still so much to do on the show, so don't go anywhere. But right now, this was our conversation with the Athletics Seth Emerson. Seth, great to see you, man. Thank you for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, two big sort of picture questions before we kind of drill down into the matchup with Tennessee. Number one, do you have a sense of historical context around this type of matchup at Sanford Stadium on Georgia's campus? Just sort of give us a quick, like, where does this rank in the in the in annals of Georgia football history? Purely by rankings, it's the biggest game at Sanford Stadium ever. There's never been... You know, we'll we'll see if it's number one versus number two, d- depending on your depth. There's never been a top three, like where both teams were in the top three. Um, on the other hand, what stadium has seen that? You don't tend to see that in the regular season. Um, the last top five where they were both in the top five was the early 80s, like 1983, I want to say. Um, so, yeah, biggest ever in that sense. I think the mitigating as in will this is this truly the best game biggest game ever at Sanford Stadium like look you know this this team this fan base just went through a national championship run um you know they've been in a lot of SEC championships and Rose Bowl Orange Bowl two national championship games uh even as far as home games at Sanford Stadium the 2019 game against Notre Dame was big LSU when they came in here as a top 10 team in 2013, Alabama, when they came in here, 14. Yeah, there's, there's this, I, the way I put it is this will be another big game 
that I think you would probably put on the same level as a lot of those other home games I mentioned. Which leads us into sort of the psychology of the game and the big difference between the two teams outside of like uh, rosters and talent is like sort of the maturity of the program, the depth of the program, a program that has been in championship settings for years now under the same coach Mm -hmm. versus sort of the confidence, culture, cohesion that Tennessee is sort of riding right now and certainly quarterback play. Um, I, I guess Georgia's mental situation, like are they a team that has been sort of just messing around for a couple of months because yeah. they know they don't have to be on and they're ready to flip a switch? Or is there more concern about sort of the, you know, the Missouri stuff and the turnovers mm-hmm. against Kent State? You know, they obviously were dominant against Oregon, which is turning into as good a win as anybody has. W- w- like mentally, are where do you feel like this team is sort of relative to their metrics and on-field performance uh, through the first two months? There's There's a couple possibilities. One is that, what we've seen against Missouri, what we saw in the third quarter against Florida, um, what we saw kind of putzing around with Kent State, uh, even a little bit with Auburn, and although the final score of that game was 42-10, that all of that <laughs> is a red flag and it's about to be exposed. It's about to catch up to Georgia. That's a real possibility. Yep. Other possibility. Georgia is a young team. All that all that veteran leadership they lost off last year's team. The question was never talent. It was how quickly this talent would manifest itself and and gain experience and everything. But what you saw was an entire off season of Kirby smart telling this team, you didn't win a championship last year's team won the championship. You haven't done anything. And so it responded well out of the gates looking great against Oregon um, you know, the next week was Sanford, 33-0. Um, and then the week after that, they went to South Carolina and smothered them. And then after that, did they did the youth catch up? Did they start to have these lapses? Uh, it started with Kent State and then Missouri. Um, Kent came out of the gate slow in the second half at Florida. And in every one of those cases, though, when they had to turn it on, they did. Like they the fact right, it got right. to that point against Missouri, you're down two scores in the fourth quarter. The fact that they let Florida score three in a row, three, three scores in a row to, to take it from 28-3 to 28-20. Uh, it shouldn't have happened, but it did. But then they turned it on when they had to. So honestly, I don't know which one it is, um, whether these are flaws, red flags that are about to be exposed, or we're just we've just seen a young team that, is very talented, and when they need to, they turn on the Jets. You're supposed to know these things, Seth. We have you on the show to tell us which one of those things it is. This is why we're talking to you. you when I say us. something definitively, then hopefully <laughs> it, it holds more weight. Uh, all right, so the two, two you, you can kind of correct me here if you think there needs to be something included in this, but it feels like the two major matchups, because again, stopping the Baylor offense, which is what Tennessee runs, is not a new thing. There's not some secret sauce to it. you got to have dudes. Georgia has dudes. Do they have you have to stop the run though with largely just your defensive line? So that's the first matchup that I think could be the most critical. So I want to know how you feel about that matchup. The other one is you have to go down the field against Tennessee and take advantage of their weakness at cornerback. And Missouri basically dared Stetson Bennett to do that. They did not until the end, but they ran the football mostly in the second half. 
are those the two like most critical matchups in terms of game within the game? Am I missing one or are those the mm. two main ones in your mind? I don't, I don't know that on, I don't know that you need Stetson Bennett to be beating them downfield. It also, also depends on your definition of downfield. Like for a lot of people, that means bombs. Um, Georgia actually leads the nation in chunk plays as in 10 yards or more. It's when you go to, and I think they're among the nation's leaders in 20 yards or, you know, it's when you go to, I've got that by the way, Tennessee and Georgia tied for ninth with plays of 20 20 yards or more, Tennessee 30 yards and is where Tennessee stays at the top and Georgia falls. Um, Now, how indicative of that is it? Like if it, it's working for Georgia, I mean, they're, they're this, I, I, I kind of get amused at people who kind of want to turn this into like, this is still the 2021 Georgia, which by the way, actually was also pretty good on offense, but I, I feel like a lot of people are still actually thinking of Georgia's offense in terms of 2019, yeah. 2020. Um, they Georgia's fourth in the nation in yards per play. Georgia's second in total yards. Uh, what are they in scoring? Like top 10, something like that. Um, they've actually in games just against power five teams because somehow Georgia's numbers are lower against Sanford and Kent State. Um, Georgia has scored more points than anybody in the country against just power five teams. Ohio State's played one less game. That's why. Um, it, what what Georgia has done has worked and they they've adjusted they if if the downfield game isn't working if it's being taken away they go to the run which they did at missouri although they supplemented the run with bennett did hit on some good kind of mid-range intermediate passes in that one um bennett's been very good on third downs bennett can run that's another he didn't at florida uh because he didn't need to but um you know ask auburn about stetson bennett's ability to run ask the poor south carolina linebacker who was put in a highlight reel by Stetson Bennett stepping cross-stepping him um they're they're they pass more than they run honestly now uh and they they have the tight ends you know they've there's no matchup for that but you can't throw the tight ends on every play so I all right that's the offensive part so I would kind of say it's hard to say what matchup is most important there. Um, if Georgia is able to run the ball, considering that that's been Tennessee's strength defensively is stopping the run, then that might be like red alert for Tennessee, because also that means less time for Hooker and company yeah. to be on the field. And it's, and um, it's all, it's all you need. Like, yeah. 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 Um, and then, but then the other part of it is like, what if, te- what if Georgia goes up a bunch of scores like if, if, if Tennessee, Tennessee has the comeback ability and they can do it quickly. So it's not like Georgia can then just hand the ball off right. every time, you know, they, they're still going to have to pass the ball to do that, to run clock. Um, I, I, I think it, it goes more. I just, I kind of think like Georgia's offense is going to score the matchup there on paper. Just it clearly says they're going to score. Tennessee's offense is going to score. Um, the you asked about the other vital matchup on that side of the ball, Tennessee's offense against Georgia's defense. And, and I, 
I don't know whether it's pressure, which is going to be harder for Georgia to do without Nolan Smith. Um, but running the ball, I think what's interesting to me is will Georgia just leave four in the box? Four in the box and maybe Jamon Dumas Johnson. And I, that might be four down linemen because um, they've got some good down linemen, especially with Jalen Carter back. Uh, and let Jamon Dumas Johnson, the inside linebacker, who's got some Roquan Smith in him, uh, kind of, you know, be the man in the middle, but trust him. And then just flood the zone with numbers and say, we're going to try to have seven defend however many Tennessee sends out there. It's, it, it'll, it'll, it's a very intriguing, like schematic question on, on how Kirby smart, Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp will approach that. It, it's so funny. Like Jalen Hyatt has been spectacular. There's no arguing that, but he's also capitalizing on the scheme, destroying secondaries. Like he, he's just, when you're just running straight down a sideline and you're open by 15 yards, like that's not really anything he's doing. Yeah. That's the scheme and the quarterback and the defense kind of all just getting mixed up. And it doesn't feel like that is a thing that Kirby smart allows to happen very often. I know last year they got beat down the field, but that's more, yeah, man to man, like pure ability, not just like busted coverages. Yeah. And it I mean, it could still happen. You can't assume, like you said, in the SEC championship and, you know, when Alabama had both of those healthy star receivers, uh, they were able to do it. But what I've said for a while is that the game being on the schedule where it is does help Georgia. They have a lot of film now and they've seen what Alabama very similar scheme and talent to Georgia failed to do against Tennessee. And that doesn't mean that they will find the secret sauce to defending it. It just means that honestly, if Georgia can't figure it out after eight games of tape, then I'm not sure anybody will. Do you get a set? Like, I know you kind of like, we don't exactly know what the first eight weeks have been for this program. We don't exactly know what the matchups entail. Do you have a feeling for how the game plays out? Like, I agree that both teams are going to score. It feels like a 41-38 game regardless of who yeah. wins. But but do you have a feeling for just Georgia's the, the more talented, more mature, deeper, more established program? Like, do you just get the vibe that that is the deciding – and, and, of course, they'll be at home in a crazy atmosphere – are those, is that the deciding factor here between two teams that are basically even? I think neutral field would be, I would go into this game saying, I just don't know. I'm not putting any money on this game. Like, I'm not staking any reputation on it at all. <laughs> um, I, I think the game being at home and Tennessee has not seen anything like this. We played a couple road games. Pittsburgh, that's you know what's the capacity of that stadium? Fifty-five thousand pro, um, pro 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 ACC stadium. <laughs> yeah, uh, Death Valley, eleven a.m. local start. LSU fumbles the opening kickoff. Crowd just never really has a chance. Yeah, this is going to be different. This is going to be different, and I think for that reason, you 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 know, there's a reason Vegas is setting the line where it is. Um, but I also, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee comes in there and, yeah. and runs away with it. How, how, uh, how healthy is Georgia? You mentioned Nolan Smith already. Um, just how healthy is this team in general? I know the offensive, the, line, the offensive line got a little healthier last week, right? Uh, they got banged up, but then like there, there, that shouldn't be any like 
long-term problems there. The one to watch um, now with Nolan Smith off the table is whether A.D. Mitchell can play. I wrote last week, the numbers really show that Georgia's offense is different with him in there. Like people talk about, you know, they looked this way against Oregon and they don't think they've looked that different, you know, that much better since then or better at all. Um, A.D. Mitchell sprained his ankle the next day or the next game against Samford tried to return like three weeks later and hasn't been able to come back. They're just different with him, but they've been playing without him. Uh, so they've, if he were able to play this week and I don't, I don't know, he didn't suit up. He made the trip to Florida, but he didn't suit up for it. So right. I don't know that there's much chance he plays. And if he plays how effective he would be. Um, otherwise um, that's, that's, you know, you've got some guys here and there, but nothing, nothing major. That's the, the main one to look at. Um, any, any thoughts on Auburn stealing an athletic director the week they're going to play that team and firing their coach in the same morning? Yeah. Any thoughts, any thoughts, Seth? But I just, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my takeaway is that maybe the athletic director will be able to make this hire and not the boosters because, uh, you would think that John Cohen knows this league. Well, he knows Auburn. Well, um, this is the same league where you've got, you know, Danny White taking shots at uh, Auburn when when uh, Alan Green was forced out. And, um, you know, you got to think that John Cohen wouldn't be making that move if he didn't have assurances that, hey, you're going to be able to make this hire, you know, to a reasonable, reasonable extent that an AD at an SEC school makes a hire. We all know president, other people are involved, but um, and that <clears throat> maybe they really are changing their ways but we'll believe it when we see it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, i believe it was you who told us on this show that that part of georgia's long-term sort of alignment success is just patience 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 and mm -hmm. the fans have gotten used to that and that is the exact opposite of what happens on the plane so uh yeah. there we have it seth thank you so much man enjoy the game dude it's gonna be awesome it's yeah. gonna be so much fun enjoy the game and thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time i right. do appreciate it thanks man That was Seth Emerson of The Athletic, longtime reporter covering the Georgia Bulldogs. Lots of great insight there. We are going to get to Brian Harson, Auburn, the athletic director, who they should hire, what's going on there. Did they do the right thing by stealing an AD from a team they're about to play this week? Joseph Goodman is going to join us from AL.com, so a lot of fun stuff coming up uh, on the show. Don't go anywhere. We got LSU Bama to talk about somehow. That's like in the C block of the show today. It's crazy. Uh, I know. So we'll at two top 10 teams. So we'll talk LSU Bama, by the way, LSU number 10 in the rankings, Ole Miss number 11. Forgot to mention that. Uh, so make sure you, you got a lot of stuff coming today on the show. Still. Do we and, finally know who LSU is? Question mark. <laughs> maybe. Um, also, of course, all this brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at J.E. Dunn, J.E. Dunn.com. Make sure you check them out. If you're looking to make a career move, you want to be inspired and productive and, and people care about you. Top 100 healthiest place to work in the country. $5 billion in annual revenue. Check out jedunn.com. Yep. And Aaron, tell them that we sent you. That's right. I just tell I them needed, we sent you. I was asking for two words from you. That's all I needed, and you nailed it. Um, okay. So, really interesting there. You know, Seth Emerson basically saying this is the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history, number one in the nation. You got divisional championship, bragging rights in a rivalry. You've got SEC championship, playoff spot, national championship. Could not ask for a better and more exciting football game. Um, can't, can't wait for that. And even he doesn't know which Georgia team is like what they are. He doesn't know. Is this the team that that's messed around with Missouri and 
in the first half against Auburn in the third quarter against Florida? Or is this the team that destroyed all Oregon 49 to three that even he doesn't know that. And he's around the program at practice every single day. So can't wait to find out. Even though he doesn't know. Did talking to him firm up what you think? So this is what I think. So there's some individual games within the game. We'll get to in did just I a skip, second. I no, 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 no. You're good. You're good. Cause I think this is what ultimately there's two, there's two, there's two sides of the matchup. There's the physical matchup. Right. Which I'll get to in a second. But then there's the mental side of this, which is a confident, culturally sort of, uh, you know, quickly defined and like it's a Tennessee is like a rocket ship. It is just but but it is new to this. They have not been in an environment like Sanford Stadium is going to be on Saturday. Right. I I know Baton Rouge is tough, but that was 11 a.m. and a football bounced off a guy's face mask. And that was like the end of the atmosphere. I'm like the first play of the game. There is this cultural confidence and like thing that's happening with Tennessee. And that's mm-hmm. what's that's what's boosting them every single like they are clearly playing their best football right now at all 100%. at all levels. Georgia, though, however, the things that Tennessee doesn't have is like this depth and maturity of a program that has been competing for championships in championship settings for like five or six years now. Like, it's like these, the act like you've been there mentality. Like these guys know how to handle this type of moment. Right. Doesn't mean they're going to, but that is the mental advantage that Georgia has. Whereas Tennessee's advantage is about this. Like we we've, 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 we've lassoed the moon here and we're riding this rocket ship into the next, you know, world. And we don't, we're not exactly sure where the rocket ship is going. No, but that's what you're saying. That's a very undervalued intangible thing is, have you been there? And do you know what it's like to not only to go there and succeed or to go there and not to be in that position at this, that particular, that much pressure um, towards the end of the season with this, with the stakes being that high, it's something that you truly can't teach players. And it does have an effect on the way things go. It absolutely does. Any yep. good coach would tell you that they prepare as much as they can, you know, to talking through it, even if it's just talking through what it's going to be like and, you know, what time are we waking up to make sure that we're prepared in the right way? And, and what does it feel like to be there? How loud is it going to be? And, you know, yep. under talked about that's not talked about all that much, but having been there before does play a part. Yep, I, I, I totally agree. So the, the, the matchups. Um, so the two matchups that I was, tr- you were trying to guess at are in my that opinion, specific enough, in my opinion, the Georgia defensive line, their front four, and maybe a fifth guy. Can they stop Tennessee's rushing attack, keeping them to one, two, maybe three yards per carry routinely throughout the game? Pittsburgh was able to do that for a large chunk of the time and, and, and pressure hen and hooker to some degree, mm-hmm. but can you, can you commit as many resources to stopping the pass? as possible because you can stop the run with just your defensive line. So watch that early. Uh, And then the other one is Georgia's inability to go down the field and take advantage of Tennessee's biggest weakness, which is their corners. Uh, Again, Georgia doesn't have a lot of elite receivers. They've got some elite tight ends. Yes, they do. I'll get to that in a second. But those are the two matchups. Is is that feel right to you in terms of um, what will decide the game? Yeah, I... I but I think with when you're talking about stopping the run, you know, the first thing I think about is just what can Georgia do to slow Tennessee down? And Tennessee will just run in circles around you. They're in insane shape. There is a difference between the stamina that those guys have. I don't know what they're doing, but they're in something right. And some <laughs> of these other teams that we're seeing, you know, week in and week out. And what you're saying is is the same sentiment, which is are you going to let Tennessee score in two minutes? Or are you going to make them pay by defining the tempo, 
being able to stop the run and taking back control of how fast paced Tennessee is moving the ball down the field. And yeah. because, because you can be, I mean, you could be up by three touchdowns, but when Tennessee's can score and their drives are around two minutes or like you, you have drives that are that short, then you yep. can quickly go from having, from dominating the game to Tennessee being right back in it. So I think those two things are the same. We're just thinking about them in different ways. Yeah. It's, it's forced Tennessee to, to go the length of the field, be yep. methodical with it um, and, and everything else to, to me. And I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of scrolling to pull this up, but basically, and Seth Emerson um, alluded to this, and this is the other, because I think that's the number one matchup to stopping Tennessee is being able to stop the run with as few people as possible. That's number right. one. Yep. And you know they're going to score. I think Georgia and Tennessee are both going to score. I think it's 41 38 or, you know, 42 35 or something like that. I think it's high scoring either way. But here's here's the numbers that I thought were really interesting looking at big plays. Okay. Georgia of 20 plus plays or more this season, top 10 in America, number nine, 54. Tennessee identical of 20, 20 plus yard plays or more. Ninth in the nation, 54 plays. They both had the exact same number of 20-plus yard plays. Georgia of 30-plus yard plays, just 15, 74th in the nation. Tennessee, number one, 36 plays of 30 yards or more. Georgia, 40 yards or more, four plays, 112th in the nation. Vols, number one in the nation, 22 yards of four, 22 plays of 40 yards or more. So basically Georgia is very very good at 10 plus yard plays, 20 plus yard plays. They're hitting that intermediate game as as good as anybody in America. To right. me that screams that the tight ends, Brock Bowers and 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 Washington. If they can get those two guys mismatched down the field a little bit, especially in the seams and in the middle of the field, then I think Georgia's going to sustain some drives and then of course they want to run the football. Right. But so it's it's about the limiting explosive plays on one side and then taking explosive plays on the other. Um, I don't know. I don't I I don't know if George like I assume Kirby Smart's going to have a lot of plans. Yeah, because he's watched a lot of good defenses play against Tennessee this season. Right. And would you say, I mean, the potential for Georgia, I'm not I'm I won't put potential on some players in that roster because it would be stupid. And you look and see what Brock Byers is capable of. There's no way you're going to put him in a box that says he can't really do anything. I mean, that would not be intelligent. But would you say that Tennessee's offense is just more set up because of the like the receivers that they have and because of Hendon Hooker and what he's able to do and exactly where he's able to put the ball? Are they just in like innately more set up for those larger chunk plays than Georgia is. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've got better receivers and a better quarterback. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm not sure where Tennessee is better. Tennessee's offensive yeah. line is great, but Georgia's offensive line might be better. Tennessee's right. defensive line is pretty solid. Georgia's defensive line is better. Tennessee's running backs are okay. Georgia's running backs are better. Like everywhere else on the field, I would argue Georgia has got the better set of personnel, except for two positions, wide receiver and quarterback. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, again, home field advantage plays for Georgia here. So I th this is as interesting a game. I think it is. I'm, I'm taking Tennessee plus the eight. I am picking Georgia like 42 to 41, <laughs> like 45 to 42. I think it's very high scoring. I think both offenses get going. I just think Georgia has a stop somewhere in them in the fourth quarter at home with the crazy atmosphere. Maybe they maybe that the. the the Tennessee dropped ball that almost cost him against Alabama. I think this time it would cost him if something like that happened. 
Yeah. I think Georgia takes advantage of it because they're not on the road. They're at home. So I, I honestly yeah. think they're dead even. I'm going to take Georgia, but I, I'm I'm betting on Tennessee plus the eight. So there you go. I who you got who you got before we talk about Auburn? <laughs> it's God. Um, it this is probably not smart, but I'm going to follow my gut, which is I I, I would take. T- I mean, I'm, I think Tennessee's going to pull it off. I, I don't think you're. I don't think that's all that crazy. So it's yeah. I mean, they're used to. There are of course it is like. It is in Athens and that, but here's the thing when you play, no matter, you know, I know that there's home field advantage is real, but it's not like they aren't used to playing when it's really freaking loud. No, but Tennessee, this particular Tennessee team as the number one team in the nation now with everything to lose, which is a very unusual psychological position for Tennessee to be in. Again, Baton Rouge is the hardest place they've played so far. Pittsburgh, eh, okay, it's a pro no. stadium in the ACC. No it's disrespect. Not, no. At Baton Rouge, if that was a night game and it didn't end in the first play, like the crowd was taken out of that game on the first play and it was an 11 a.m. kickoff time. There were people leaving in the third quarter. Like it just wasn't the same as what this is going to be like. Right. So they have not faced this truly, this type of environment. So it, it's not a huge factor. And one big play by Hendon Hooker can take that crowd out of the game. So it's it's not like they can't do it. I right. N- literally nothing would surprise me. Tennessee Kirby's... blowout. No, go ahead. I was gonna say Tennessee blowout, Georgia blowout, Tennessee close, Georgia close. None of that. Nothing would surprise me. Nothing. I'll take. I'm gonna take. I, I think Tennessee wins it. I think Georgia's gonna have to make a mistake, and Tennessee's gonna have to capitalize on it. I think yeah. it'd be interesting to look at the turnover margin when we talk next week, and then. I, I think Tennessee, I'm going to say Tennessee can do it by a field goal. Okay. But Kirby Smart has made a very distinct call to action to his fan base of being like, come early, be loud as shit. Yeah. And is directly talking to them. And I, it's like, it's going to make a difference. And so, and he, and he's probably not wrong. I just want it to be like Alabama, Tennessee. I don't care who wins. I just yeah, want no. it to be, I just want it to be as good as We're that so game. greedy now after that. I just, just give me something even close to as good as that game. And I am happy. I don't care who wins as a Tennessee alumni. I'm going to be pissed. Cause I'm going to look, be watching someone say their <laughs> vows, but I'll get over it. Uh, it better be a short ceremony. Like, let's wrap it up guys. Got, Mama got places to be short ceremony. Uh, all right. Joseph Goodman, al.com really couple of really juicy, interesting stories about Brian Hartson coming up uh, in just a second. And now that, now that they, now that, now that we can all say all the things we want to say about Brian, <laughs> Brian Harson. Um, were we not before? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're not on the beat. You know, we don't have to talk to Brian Harson every single day. Uh, those guys do. And now they can say what they want to say. So it's time to open your CrossFit gym, Brian. We'll we'll find out how Mrs. Harson factored into all of this. Uh yeah, that's right. Uh we'll get to that in just a second. Uh all right, quickly here. Just no coincidence at all. John Cohen. This is why I love the SEC, uh, Aaron. Like John Cohen, the athletic director of Mississippi State, who was a coach at Florida baseball the head coach at Kentucky baseball played at Mississippi state coached at Mississippi state was the AD at Mississippi state and was born in where Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Wild. So this man has ties to four other sec programs and now he's going to run the Auburn athletic department. This is the most sec incestuous decision ever. I think it's a smart hire. I think he's a good AD. His two hires were Joe Moorhead and, uh, and Mississippi State and Mike Leach, I would say one and one there on those two. Yeah. And even though Leach wasn't his first choice, but a really good hire, I think, in my opinion. Moorhead, not so much. Um, so I guess where where do you want to start with this? Just like it all happened at the same time for a reason. 
Um, you know, the, Auburn is paying $37 million to Gus Malzahn and to Brian Harson to go away. Just for a point of reference, Aaron, that is less than half of what A&M would have to pay Jimbo Fisher to go away. Jimbo ain't going anywhere. <laughs> just just to, some perspective there. Golly. So they, they move on on Harson finally. It, it makes total sense. We've been saying this for, for a long time. It just was never a great fit. Joseph will get into sort of like why it wasn't a great fit, the personality type and all that different stuff. But just where, like, <laughs> during, <got> during <laughs> I just love that all of this happens on <laughs> the, miss, the week that Mississippi State and Auburn are going to play. It's just, it's almost too good. It's so good. And there Mississippi State people are like, I oh, will never forgive him for this. And he again, he's an alumni of there. The last AD that left Mississippi State, Scott Strickland, went to Florida. He's an alumni of Mississippi State. The guy before that was Greg Byrne, who's now the AD at Alabama. Mississippi State is ADU. They're just churning them out. And then they Here's go some th- and then they go somewhere else. Starkville needs Starkville is an appropriately named town. I'll just say that. <laughs> so maybe. Let's add a add some some pizzazz to that place, and maybe you'd be able, able to hold on to people. I know you people that went to Mississippi State love it. For me, the only time I've been to Starkville was once for dance camp, and once I was served Boone's Farm immediately upon arrival. And I think you've told me that story. Yeah. So how did that how did that night end? Um, there's a lot of sugar in Boone's Farm. I'll just say that. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. It's quite the <laughs> quite the headache. I can't. I literally am not sure I've ever. I've ever had it as a as as a legal adult, drinking adult. <laughs> I was not. I wasn't. Just so you can't judge me. It was not legal. Uh, statute of limitations is run out. It's totally fine. Um, well, I, I want to get to your names of who you think Auburn should hire, and we'll get to some of those names in a little bit. But just Joseph said a couple of things that I think are really interesting, and I'll let you guys hear them. But he he calls in his column. He said this was the worst. <laughs> this is one of the worst SEC football coaches of all time. I think it's easy to argue that it's the worst Auburn head coach of all time. But not all of that is Brian Harson's fault. Much of it is, but not all of it is. And I, my favorite phrase from Joseph is, Auburn is a complicated work of art. The, <laughs> and, and clearly what you cannot argue is their commitment level because you can't complain. Oh. Like, I put him at number one most... Nobody tested. ever accused them of not caring. <laughs> right. Like, I think it's a better job than Nebraska and Wisconsin and Colorado and all these other jobs that are open because if the worst possible thing that can happen to you if you go become the head coach at Auburn, is that you make $15 million to go away? Uh, if that's Sign the, me up. If that's the worst possible thing that can happen to you, then I'm sorry, you, you that's a that's a hell of a job. <laughs> right. Well, and the thing is, is like, you know, when you have like helicopter parents or parents that are very unhealthily enmeshed in the lives of their children, that is a microcosmic example yeah. of what Auburn football is. It's just pe- being, they care so much that it's, it does come with costs. They're all up in the business of, you know, everything. Your shoes untied. Brian, Brian, your shoes untied. Tie your shoe. Tie your shoes, Brian. 100%. And here's the all, here's another thing. Finish your you, grapes. Finish you have your to grapes. at least <laughs> pretend to care what those very passionate donors and fans think. And Brian Carson just was not willing to do that. No. And I think it will give a, a good taste if you tell Tell you what you've learned about what Brian Harson was called on a good day and a bad day. Well, how about this? Uh, I've got candidates I want to throw out there. I know you've got some names you'd like to see coach at Auburn. We'll throw some candidates out there because we should we should discuss that. But how about we let Joseph Goodman do that? 
uh columnist. oh joseph's the one that told you that yes for al.al.com he's he's he said i said tell me about brian harson the person like what was he, what is he like to be around on a day-to-day basis and he had a very distinct answer yes and he did t- and then told a story about mrs harson <laughs> And See, how it and how it just wasn't ever going to be a fit. So uh, we're, we're breaking the fourth wall today. The to yeah. the to the fringe element audience. I normally am either on these interviews or get to listen to them beforehand. But today was not one of those days. Um, well, we had we had to get some stuff going here. We had to get when, some when stuff Aub- moving. Uh, listen, when Auburn news breaks, you, you got to get somebody on the show. Like you got to talk Auburn. So I've got some candidates. I know you got some candidates. We'll get to okay. all of that. We've got LSU and Bama to talk about. We've got a lot of stuff to do. With LSU and Bama, and then we'll kind of finish with some rapid fire. Hey, Ole Miss is pretty good. Nice win. Texas A&M found a quarterback. Is yep. Missouri good at football? I don't know. We'll find out. So we've got lots of stuff to do still in the C block, as they call it. Uh, but let's hear from Joseph Goodman, the great columnist and author, by the way. We want Bama. Check out the book. This is uh, this was our conversation with Joseph Goodman of AL.com. Joe, good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Brennan, what's up, buddy? So uh, we're going to talk Bama LSU in just a second, but obviously Auburn uh, making headlines, as they tend to do uh, all, all times of the year. Um, but in particular this week, the looks like they're hiring John Cohen from Mississippi State and firing Brian Harson. So just before we – I want to kind of peel back some of the layers of Brian Harson and his time there. I think if, if anybody wants to read your thoughts, uh, go check out all the columns that you've written at AL.com. Uh, you called him, I believe, the one of the worst hires in modern SEC football history. And I just, with that, in, I don't necessarily disagree with you because I think that's sort of a point of fact when you base it off of the things that have taken place. But how much is on Harson specifically his behavior, his actions or inactions, and how much is on the all the other stuff that, that people like to talk about? Well, let's just... Boil it down to on-field performance, okay? They've lost seven of their last eight SEC games, and the one victory was against Missouri, and it was gifted to them when Nathaniel Pete fumbled untouched going into the end zone at the in overtime. Okay, that's the <laughs> one win against an SEC. Like they're three and thirteen, or three and ten. Their last thirteen. I don't know. They're they build up all these leads in the first half, and then they blow them all. Uh, so just based on on-field performance, okay, uh, and the slow bleeding of a lack of talent from that program, uh, you know, it was apparent last year that he wasn't the right fit, you know. The, to me, this was all just – you can't fire the guy in February, okay? Because then you're like – we're the university who fires coaches in February. Like, really, who's going to go there after that? I mean, they had to kind of go through this charade of, we're just going to let you fall flat on your face, uh, which is going to be inevitable. So you look like the asshole and we don't. So, I mean, (laughs) that's basically what it boiled down to. I mean, everyone, Derek Mason just left. And yeah. took a pay cut to Oklahoma State. Bo Nix, legacy quarterback, son of Pat Nix, proud Auburn Tigers entire life, committed to Gus Malzahn when he was like, you know, three Six. months old. I don't know. <laughs> like he's in Oregon now, and he, and he's 
He's he, he might be a contender for the Heisman Trophy. Like Oregon's number eight in the country. Okay, like he all he does is like account for five or six touchdowns a game at this point. Like, how many games would Auburn have won this year with Bo Nix? Just like add in that one factor. Like you know, well, co- coordinators generally take jobs and then retire within a month as well. So that uh, yeah, yeah, that normally so, happens. Uh, you know. Let's just keep it. Let's just keep it on the on-field stuff. Like based on all that, you know, oh, it was time I, for him to go. Yeah, I don't want to talk about any of the on-the-field stuff. Though we already know all that. I want to talk about the off-the-field stuff. And you did, you did, you did call Auburn. And I love this line. I think it's a great way to describe them. They are a complicated work of art. I think that is a perfect way to describe what Auburn is: capable of winning national championships, but impossible to decipher from time to time. I think that is exactly what they are. And and I. My question about Harson personally, and I'm not talking about like even the the vaccination stuff, but like, what what what? Is, who is Brian Harson the person? Like, did he treat people well? Like, I know he's not from the area. I know the recruiting. I know the talent bleed. I know the the lack of quarterback development and like all the on the field stuff you just mentioned. But what, like, did he treat people well? Like, what what? It seems like there's a lot of Auburn people that are just happy to have him out of the picture, not just because of football reasons. Listen, <clears throat> at best, he was aloof, okay? At best. You know, at worst, he was just a complete jerk. Like, a lot was made about this inquiry in February. And, you know, Reese Davis said it was, like, despicable and all this blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of rumors flying around that just weren't true. There was internet crap. But there were players who said, he treated them so poorly that the environment and the culture that was created was completely untenable. And so that was the basis for a lot of that investigation that was going on. Yeah. It just, <laughs> not the, not the rest fit. Okay. Let's just, we can just, <laughs> everyone can take the high road here. Okay? No, no, I don't want to take the high road. <laughs> I want to know what's in the mud. Joe, I want to know. I know. I want to know what's down there, man. <laughs> okay, here's a classic. All right, this is kind of like PG thirteen. Okay, this is a classic behind the scenes story. All right, that was relayed to me by Auburn people. The Birmingham Auburn Tiger Touchdown Club is the largest like booster group in for Auburn. Okay. <clears throat> His wife went to the Auburn Booster Club meeting in Birmingham wearing black pants and a red top. I mean, those are Georgia colors. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> that, that's so funny. Like, it means absolutely nothing, and it means everything all at the same time. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's just clothes. But this is sports. Like that <laughs> shit matters. Sports are stupid to begin with. The way we're crazy about stuff. I mean, but yeah, I like you know, that's just a like a classic example of just how like they did not get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that and now I've seen a lot of like needs to have a southern <laughs> southern birth certificate, needs to have the recruiting experience in the southeast. Like, is that what was I think sometimes fit can be way overblown. Obviously, um, it, you know Nick Saban did, wasn't a cultural fit at LSU. 
when he got there. Brian Kelly's not a cultural fit in in, in Baton Rouge either. Sometimes great coaches can overcome all of that. Obviously, if they right? hire Lane Kiffin, the, the state of Alabama will go back and issue him a birth certificate from the state of Alabama. <laughs> They'll be like, you know what? <laughs> you were born here. You're like honorary. No, no, he he was reborn in Alabama. That's what oh happened. yes, that's you right. Go. You can use that in a column. You can use that. <laughs> you know, yeah, a lot of that stuff uh, is maybe overblown a little bit, but I just think it's reactionary after this Harson debacle because he was just <laughs> such a bad fit, and you know they just. <laughs> That's just a reaction to to that and and wanting to get it right this time. And yeah, it's they need to get it right. Um, this is a critical time <laughs> for Auburn. Like they need to make a huge, big hire here. They can't just like get down to their fifth choice and it be the guy from Idaho. Okay, or or, or Nick Saban's fifth best offensive coordinator of the last ten years. Um, I, I, like Bill, the, the, the agent, the, Bill O'Brien's agent is working overtime right now. I'm just telling you, um, what, what I think is, what I think is great. Um, look, I love the fact that, I mean, I, Bill O'Brien is a great coach. Okay. But Auburn's not going to hire directly from Alabama. Like that is just not going to happen. Okay. You know, I I know a lot of people were like, why didn't Auburn just hire Kirby Smart? You know, Auburn wasn't going to hire directly from Alabama. There needs to be at least one degree, okay? <laughs> like, they're not going to go straight into Alabama staff and take, like, Pat Dye, okay? Perfect example. He was an assistant for Bear Bryant, Okay. He went to East Carolina. He went to Wyoming. Then he went. Then he went to Auburn. Like that, you know. Those are like degrees of separation there. Okay. So, yeah, they're not going to hire directly from Alabama, in my in my opinion. Like that's just not going to happen. So, I mean, so, I was surprised they hired an AD who's from Tuscaloosa. Personally, I mean, right, right. Kind of shocking. So, per, per, perfect segue because that's you know you have to be gangster in the SEC to to win. And Danny White's gangster, Scott Strickland's gangster. I think we all know that the guys that in in College Station in Baton Rouge have been gangster. Like you got to be. You know, Greg Burns got some gangster to his game. Like you got to just kind of put everything to the side and and be and be that guy. So is John Cohen going to be allowed to be that guy at Auburn? Auburn is the gangster of the SEC. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, they need to get all the gangsters in there. <laughs> I think that John Cohen uh, is going to go in there. He gets it. He's an SEC lifer. Yeah, I joke around. He's from Tuscaloosa and everything, you know. But this is a, ba a, a, a he was a great baseball coach in his own right. Uh, you know, took Mississippi State to the College World Series. You know, knows the landscape, uh, knows the people. And when you're a baseball coach, like you know how to really hustle, because the the lack of scholarships. Uh, on a baseball roster, like demand that from a baseball coach, you know, yeah. you're, you're piecing together a roster. You're, you're having to deal with kids who are going to go to the minors, you know, all this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think that John Cohen, I don't know him personally. I look forward to meeting him, but I think that 
you want to get an administrator in there who knows the landscape and is an SEC lifer. And I, I think that he's, he's a good, he's as good as anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, like we'll see. <laughs> I'm not going to say this is a slam dunk hire. Like I have no idea. Well, it's, it's more about the complicated work of art that I'm interested in. Right. Like it's okay. that, that's, that's what I'm interested in with Auburn is that they like, again, Tennessee was in its own way forever. Um, Georgia has put on a clinic on how to sort of like stay aligned and sort of sort of slowly move the ship as it sees fit. You know, Alabama's as aligned as any program has ever been in the history of the game, largely for for most of its existence. So that we know they have the resources, the money's going to pour in for athletes and for players for NIL. We know they can spend thirty seven million dollars on two coaches in less than two years. Like we know Auburn has all of the things to win. The question is sort of is Auburn willing to get out of its own way? And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've got. That. Do you have that answer? Do you have any idea at what that answer could be? I think in the past few months, like that is what they've been really working on, like uh, getting everything in line, preparing for the future, once the inevitable firing of Harson happened, and so we'll see. You know, um, I think that. Like I said before, this is a critical time, okay? And the people at Auburn get that. Texas and Oklahoma are about to join the league. Uh, they're about to split up the conference scheduling. Um, yeah, it's like you either get right at this point, Auburn, or you might be tumbling down the SEC standings for a long time. So yeah, critical moments here for Auburn. Uh, critical moments for John Cohen. There's a lot of pressure on him immediately. Uh, and yeah, and I mean, it goes all the way up to the president, you know? So yeah, um, that's the situation at Auburn. Uh, all right, let's go to the Bama LSU Crazy as usual. Uh, yeah, just didn't, never a dull moment on the beat, I imagine. Um, let, let me, let's move to the, the Bama LSU game real fast. Am I crazy for thinking LSU is going to win the game? No, I mean, I don't think so. I listen, when Jaden Daniels came into the SEC that first game against Florida State, I mean, I, you could kind of see that he was going to be a problem once he got used to everything and, and Brian Kelly, you know, figured some stuff out. Brian Kelly's a good coach. Uh, you know, he demands a lot and he, 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 He's got them moving in the same direction already, you know. So, I, I even beyond this game, I think LSU is going to be, you know, a persistent problem for a lot of teams in the SEC, you know, just as we move on here. But yeah, this Alabama game, I don't know if I'm ready to say LSU is going to win, uh, but it's going to be a great game. As you can see, Alabama goes on the road and they're a different team at this point, you know, than they are at home. And so I can't, I can't see a reason why that trend isn't going to continue. It, it feels like the weaknesses around Bryce young, like if this was 2020 roster around Bryce young, I feel like we wouldn't even be having a conversation about Alabama football. Right. Oh, oh that, that team was ridiculous. Did, did somebody write a book about that team? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that team was book worthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least tell everybody the title now that we're joking about it. Oh, uh, we want Bama. 
There you yes, go. the season of hope and the making of Nick Saban's <laughs> ultimate team. Um, hey, let me let me ask you this about uh, Saban in general. I know that there was like a fake Twitter account that got a bunch of people a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I'm curious, just I, I could see Nick Saban, like knowing him the way we kind of do in the SEC media, I could see him one morning, like on a Tuesday in June, just waking up and being like, you know what? I am not able to do this at the level that I have set for myself and the standards that I have set for myself, and this is no longer in the best interest of my team and players and and and, and the program, and therefore it's time for me to step away. And I that, that sounds like off the cuff one morning he wakes up and changes his mind, but I feel like that's how he's calculated his career all along. Like, I, I don't know. Does any of that make any sense at all, or is that just... I, may have, I, don't, I mean, I, I would hope for Alabama's sake that they have, like, a secession plan, you know? It's not going to be, like... House of the Dragon, all of a sudden. <laughs> like, the king is dead. Now what do we do? A civil war. No, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah. Is he going to wake up one day at his lake house and be like, oh, this is it? I don't know. You know, he's always said if he loses three games, then, like, that would be it for him in a season, you know. So. All right. Well, then the LSU game just got a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, thank you. So, well, I mean, this is serious. Like, he's 71 years old now. On Halloween was his birthday. He's the oldest coach in the history of SEC football. Like, there's no coach that's that's been older than him coaching in the league, you know. So, I mean, it, it takes a lot out of people. You know, Steve Spurrier was he held the record before Saban. You know, it, I mean, he's a different guy for sure. But he, he he only looks seventy-one in his hair. Otherwise, for some reason, this year on the sidelines, his hair looks way worse than than it's ever looked before. But otherwise, the rest of him looks like he's about fifty-eight years old. So, <laughs> he, yeah, you know, I guess the dye like bled out or something. <laughs> need no new dye job. Yeah, something like that. Uh, uh, we want Bama's the book. Go check it out. Al.com, of course, is the website. You can read them. Uh, Joe, enjoy the uh, coaching search <laughs> for Auburn. We do appreciate it. Enjoy what should be a spectacular weekend of college football as well. Thank you, man. Okay. All right. Have a good one. That was Joseph Goodman of AL.com covering both Auburn and Alabama columnist there. And he was been, he's been around Brian Harson a lot. And at quote, at best, he was aloof. At worst, he was a quote, complete jerk. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the best being aloof is not the goal. No. And and the story about his wife wearing red and black to the, uh, you know, Birmingham Auburn touchdown club, like to me, and I said that, you know, in the interview, I was like, man, it, it means absolutely nothing what you wear, but it also shows that you just don't get it. But it like, kind of does. Like it, it kind of does. You're not like, you know, you're not locked in is really what it comes down to. You're not. Well, and, would this is a lifestyle, not just like a day right. job. You show up nine right. to five. Like that's a whole you've moved your family around their whole life to do it. You're you know, you're gone until wee hours of the morning. Like, why are you wearing red and black to why are you wearing red and black? I uh, listen again, like it means absolutely nothing. It is purely anecdotal, but it also shows just a little bit like with Terry Saban. By the way, happy birthday to Nick Saban on the day that Brian Harson is fired. <laughs> it's funny. Um I, I think and we talked a little bit there with Joseph about when he thinks 
you know, Nick Saban can retire. He's he's the oldest coach in in the SEC right now in SEC history. So it, it, there is some conversation about that. But uh, I just like would Terry Saban be be caught wearing like purple and gold no. at an Alabama touchdown club meeting? No, like no, she wouldn't. So she's locked in. Like it's just it's it's a small thing that means absolutely nothing, but it does sort of it does sort of show. To me, it's an anecdotal story about how the fit just never was there, and he just didn't get it. He thought he could. I'm gonna I'm gonna recruit different players than Bama and Georgia, and I'm gonna do it my way, and we're gonna outdevelop them, and we're gonna do like that. Just shows a lack of understanding for the SEC landscape, and you know, again, if not for for Missouri fumbling the football, they would have lost like nine straight. And uh, on the field, you can't argue with how bad it was. Then there's all this other off the field stuff. Then there's the boosters. Now you got the new AD, which of course brings us to first PSA about the Auburn coaching search. Again, we'll get to LSU Alabama, huge football game. <laughs> I know. Because I'm going to say something crazy about that game. I'm going to say something crazy. Um, I, Lane, Lane Kiffin is a perfect fit. I you said this last week on the show. Why would Lane Kiffin want that job? Uh, aside, I mean, you can make a fortune in both the towns. In-state. Well, they're both yeah. they're both small little towns that are basically identical. Totally charming and wonderful places to live. I would not. Do you like Auburn that much? I love Auburn. I do. I love Auburn as a town. I think it's great. Would I want to live there or in Oxford? Probably not. But if I made $7 million and was the superstar head coach, then I, I'm fine living anywhere at that point. Yeah, true. But, but I love Auburn is one of my favorite places in all of the SEC. I love it. It's just the, the whole like charm of it all. The entire thing is baked into the university. Oxford has some of that too, but there's also this literary history and all this other stuff that's baked into Oxford that I love. I'm assuming your life as Lane Kiffin, if you're good at both places, is about the same. You're making a fortune. It's good to be Lane Kiffin. Right. But, but why trade the calmness and appreciation and love and lack of quote unquote expectations at because at of the ceiling for Auburn? And, and your answer is that is the answer is the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Ceiling's higher. Yeah. And I, I think as much as, and I do mean everything that I said about Lane last week in the sense that. It, it would be hard to walk away from. I do think he gives a shit. Um, I do think he's invested a lot, not just on the field, but off the field with his players. And I think that he has real connections with those people, even though, you know, we see crazy aloof lane sometimes, but not Ryan Harson aloof. At um, worst, at worst aloof. At worst. Not, not, aloof. not, that, at, not at best. Correct. Aloof. Yeah. But passionate, you can't argue. Um, and yeah, this the ceiling is, is higher um but also what you just said if it doesn't work which it's lane kiffin honestly i just i think it would it would um but if it doesn't then you get 37 million dollars in a mai tai on a beach but that's not really how lane's wired he won't want no that. no no i i think the lure because yeah i agree with you the ceiling is higher at auburn than Ole miss that's no brainer they've won national titles right. uh, to me the one psychological thing that could lure lane kiffin to auburn is the, is the idea of going against Saban every but single year at the Auburn place. And these coaches are egomaniacs. And the idea to be, if you could be the guy at Auburn who dethrones Saban, because Gus started did it. a whole nother legacy. Gus won games against Saban more than anybody else. And he still was run out of town for $22 million. So, but if you could beat him consistently the way Tuberville did, and again, Tuberville didn't beat Saban, but if you could beat Alabama the way Tuberville did and and do it against Saban. Yeah. Oh, man. That well, then is... that's just a that gives you an opportunity to leave a whole 
a whole ass legacy. It, it turns into the very first sentence on your Wikipedia bio. Yep. Like 200 years from now, when Lane Kiffin's great, great, great grandkids pull up his Wikipedia page and it's like beat Nick Saban four times at Auburn. That'd be, the first, Auburn. Yeah. that'd be the first sentence in his bio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I do think that there's a, that the connection there uh, makes sense. And yeah. I think that Lane is, he's not someone that is going to, like we just said, take a, you know, be bought out and be happy doing nothing. Like Lane is right. Lane's on a trajectory to try to do something great and leave a, yeah. a long legacy. So that would be the place. The question is, is it Auburn or is it in the NFL? I think he does. I think he is intrigued by a return to the NFL. Um, Hugh Freeze is the other one. And I listen, I eventually the SEC has been blocking his return to the league for a while. It's not going to happen anymore. He eventually is going to get back into the league at some point. The question is, is if you're Auburn, do you have like the cachet? Does the new AD have the cachet to sort of make that hire and deal with the blowback? Like this is a guy who got a program into major NCAA issues. This is clearly a program with questionable morals and talks out of both sides of his mouth and is completely full of shit. Um, but he's a good football coach. Like he knows how to win games. He's winning at Liberty. They're ranked. They're playing Arkansas this week. Like it's it, like he beat Alabama multiple times. Like he checks a lot of boxes if you're sort of a basic fan. Right. I just I just don't know. Like there's part of me that thinks that he did it all the way he did it at Ole Miss and it worked. I I don't know if he can go back to that same game plan. Because it well, got him, it got him into so much trouble, and Auburn's a tougher. Like I don't know, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I, I see think, it. I don't think that, you know, the easy thing to say here is like, Auburn fans, you know, I'm not saying they want morally corrupt things to happen, but they also really like winning football games. Yeah, but I care. think that's oversimplifying. I don't think that the admin, like the administration at Auburn, is thinking that same way. Like they're, you know, I mean, they want to win for sure. But that's there. The risks are high, but somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to take him back. Well, and otherwise, so who's it going to be? Basically, is yeah. And then yeah, you're yeah. like, oh shit. Well, everyone got over it after a year. We should have just been the one to do it. Right. I, I, my issue is, is I don't know. Like, if you look at uh, here's a PSA. Any any internet list right now is uninformed. It is just like us having a conversation. It's just us spitballing. One hundred percent about some of the dynamics around some of the possible candidates. We are not saying that Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin are candidates because Lane Kiffin might not even have any interest in the job at all. If you read an internet list right now, the athletic director at time of taping has not even been announced. (laughs) So the guy who's supposed to do the job of making the hire through a search firm or otherwise hasn't even been installed yet. So like, there's no chance that we have any idea who the candidates are. Now, Auburn is, thank, thank the good Lord on this one, Auburn tends to be the leakiest of all leaky coaching searches in the history of coaching searches. So I'm sure we'll find out. But like Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator at Baylor, Bill O'Brien, who I think would be a terrible hire, the offensive coordinator at Bama, Joseph said they're never going to hire somebody right off the Bama staff. That's never going to happen. Matt Rule just got fired at Carolina. I think he's a good coach, but is that going to get people going at Auburn? Like I, Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle aren't going anywhere at Iowa State and Cincinnati. Like I don't Mm-mm. know. Jamie Chadwell at, at Coastal Carolina. Yeah, here's that's, what I'd say. that one is came up he reeks of auburn <laughs> he gives he gives, the millennials would say he's giving auburn he is giving auburn i don't know what that means but he's yeah. giving auburn he's giving off auburn i guess i don't know the old guy would say that just but, but weird. like it's just weird but yeah lots of ncaa investigations at coastal carolina <laughs> and and his previous stop before that i should say so yep. like just reeks of auburn he's giving auburn um <laughs> I learned something I, new today. How, how about oh, how about this? 
The list of names I have seen bantered about for the Auburn Tigers is so mid. Does that count? <laughs> did I get it? Did I use it right? Yeah. I did. I use yeah. it right, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You did. <laughs> I think Didn't it's you? a like it's a bunch of average guys. Like, meanwhile, by the way, oh, we didn't mention this. By the way, Gus Malzahn uh, ranked number twenty-five in the playoff rankings. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just want to throw that in there i uh, love it so we'll um, see how we'll see how it plays out like i don't know if you've got a favorite i mean lane kiffin would be the one that we're all rooting for but like i don't i don't think he's gonna do it i don't think he's interested i well you haven't seen the offer have you uh, Ole miss can pay man i mean Ole miss got money yeah i think that you they got that sandra bullock money <laughs> true um, they, that, that, that would make sense to me. I'm not saying I wouldn't want the, I wouldn't want to have to deal with Auburn. Like I said, last week in and out week to week booster admin, all no that way. jazz no wouldn't want to do it. I think I, I would keep my happy ass in Oxford and yep. hope that you could, you know, do some good stuff, especially when the playoffs start expanding and that maybe you could grab one of those spots when it, you know, it becomes bigger than this four teams that four, eight and keeps going. Um, yep. the, Jamie Chadwell is has you know, you're right. <laughs> that is my prediction. Would work. Uh, what do you think about stealing from Jackson State? So Deion Sanders is a is a fascinating name. I don't know why he would be a good football coach in the SEC. Yeah. Like, I, what is it that people Deion are tossing Sanders, that around? Deion Sanders. I know that. I know that Deion Sanders is great at doing Aflac commercials. <laughs> I don't know what else. De- what is Deion? Like, he's a great recruiter because his last name is because because he's Dion. I don't. I think like, he's a very. I think he's a strong symbolic figure. Not sure he's the X's and O's guy, but like he is. He he does. He like he. Right. He's Dabo he's with a no. Face. He's, he's a face. Dabo without. He's Dabo with Dabo. zero coaching experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't. There's some weird names being thrown around. Honestly, like I've heard. Kevin Steele, Kevin Steele would just be so funny. I would, that would, it would be, oh my God, that'd be great. Uh, Lane, Lane would be the chronicle that most people are looking for. Yeah. Which is why it probably won't happen. Um, I, there are so many names like Hugh Freeze would be great drama. Deion Sanders would be great drama. Kevin Steele to me is the most underwhelming nonsense, but it would be great drama and hilarious to me and ironic because Mm -hmm. half the boosters wanted him when they hired Brian Hartson. Like it's just there's just nothing better than an Auburn coaching search. There's just nothing better. Like it is, it is my favorite thing in the world. It has definitely been an entertaining ride with Harson and now <sighs> with question mark, and will I, continue I, to be because it's Auburn. I do not understand what people, why people believe that Deion Sanders is going to somehow scheme against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Brian Kelly and like I, I, I am I am blown away by Deion Sanders being a, a name that people think is a viable option. I, I just. Yeah, maybe I, maybe not, I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't think he's the playbook mad scientist that they need. No, it's one thing to get two or three kids to come to an HBCU and and compete against you know teams of hot, much lesser talent than what you're recruiting. It's a totally different thing to be like, all right, it's third and eight against Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. Correct. We need a play here. Like, you better hire the best coaching staff in the history of the world if you're going to do that. So I, yeah. again, I don't. That didn't make but, sense. But boosters are stupid and blinded by their love and, and everything else. So, okay. I'm going to say something crazy about LSU Bama. Unless you got it. Unless you got anything to add. No, I'm good. I, I think LSU is going to win outright. Wow. They are What's, 13. They're a 13 point underdog. Why do you think that? 
I think they're, we said this last week, I think they're Tennessee light to some degree. They've got a dynamic quarterback who can run around and is playing the best football of the season. They've got really, really big weapons on the outside, which Alabama lost in the Tennessee game. The, the defensive line is really good, which can pressure Bryce Young and stop the run uh, because LSU's defensive line is really good. And Alabama doesn't have the outside weapons to take advantage of the weaknesses. Like LSU is constructed in a way almost identically to Tennessee, but just not as good. And they're at home. It's going to be wild. LSU traditionally plays Alabama very well at home. Alabama is a totally different team on the road than they are at home. I just think this is two weeks off for both teams. I think it sets up for LSU to play a very good football game. And if they're playing a really good game in this matchup, I think they can win outright. I got LSU plus the 13 and a half. I got Tennessee plus the eight. But I think LSU can win outright and put an end to this entire Alabama conversation altogether. That being said, Bryce Young is special and Bryce Young could just do something Bryce Youngish. Yeah, I know. don't think I don't think LSU will I, I don't think LSU can do it. I'll My, take Alabama in that game. I, I think that's right. I think that's smart. Uh I just want to be a little crazy today on the show. The the only He's wild, guys. It's ten twenty five. Well losing, whatever time you're listening to this, Braden's lost it. He's <laughs> He's gone wildly awry. I think the one thing that concerns me about this prediction is that Tennessee's offensive line is really good. uh, Mm -hmm. And Alabama didn't really blitz Hendon Hooker at all. And that was a strange decision, but it worked in Tennessee's favor. LSU's offensive line is not all that good. So that's my concern. That would be my concern is that Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and all these guys are just eating Jaden Daniels lunch all day that that yeah. would that would be the way Alabama rolls and puts it away and and puts together an impressive win on the road so I can I, listen, I don't think I know, Alabama will cover that but I I think they will win I think it's a little crazy I'm acknowledging my craziness but there's something about it man there's something about Jaden Daniels doing something crazy running around in the fourth quarter and making a big play to win the game I just Braden held off till November to become completely unhinged, but here it is. <laughs> this is me being unhinged. Uh, this is me. No, I've uh, seen worse from you. Well, what do you want? So otherwise, it sounds like you're pretty confident in, in the the weaknesses for Alabama. Brian Kelly's not going to... I mean, Brian Kelly's coached against Alabama a lot, so he knows about Saban. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Listen, I think LSU has done is leaps and bounds ahead of what I thought they would be. You know, just watching things happen from the beginning of the season to now at the very first week of November, I am blown away by what they've been able to put together. We, again, we've talked about this all the time. LSU's not hurting for talent. There's talent within that state. There's talent close by, and they just always have it. It's just, can you put it together? Brian Kelly is doing that. Um, We'll continue to do that. That's what he does. I just don't think they're at the point where they will be, they're going to be, Bama. I haven't seen enough to be able to claim that. What What are Alabama's performances on the road this year and and last year? Uh, a one point win over Texas, a three point loss to Tennessee. the The Arkansas game this year was impressive because they lost Bryce Young and then they pulled away in the fourth quarter with a backup quarterback. Last year they almost lost to Emory Jones and Flo- a bad Florida team that fired Dan Mullen. Almost they, they almost lost to LSU last year. They they needed the Bryce Young spectacular drive on the final possession to even get the Auburn game into overtime while Auburn was trying to fire Brian Harson at that time. So like it, they just are not the same team away from Tuscaloosa. So they're not, but there is something to be said, and that's of course way too close for comfort if you're a Bama fan, and it's not what Nick Saban wants because it means there's mistakes being made, and that's what Nick Saban doesn't like. Um, penalties, like most penalties, like stupid things, and it. Messy. It's messier Alabama football than we're used to. 
But at the end of the day, there's still something to be said for almost, but didn't almost, but didn't almost, but didn't because it's something that Alabama is able to do is when it gets down to it, didn't happen against Tennessee this year, but when it didn't gets happen down against, to it, it didn't happen to A&M last year, they lost that game. It's true, but it's, a backup quarterback. It's rare. Alabama. I know. I know. I'm just saying you, with it more recently than they have in the past, but I am not, I am not rooting against Alabama. I am not anti-Alabama. I am kind of pro seeing some new stuff in the playoff. So maybe this is wishful thinking. Could be. Could <laughs> because be. Technically, LSU controls its own destiny in, in, in the in the division. So uh, I won't now what I will I won't be completely shocked if that game's very close. Or even if LSU pulled it off, it wouldn't be like my entire world was flipped upside down. I just don't I can't bet on it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. We shall see. All right. Some quick rapid fire. Ole Miss number 11 in the rankings. That's a really, I just want to say that's a really good win on the road against AM to run the football the way they did. Uh, I, I just think that's a, that that's a win that Ole Miss normally doesn't have. And Jimbo Fisher now four straight losses, three and five. This is epically bad stuff for Texas AM. but Connor Wigman was great. They, yep. they sort of, he, like he clearly is the answer. He, yeah. So, that's their guy. 100%. So I don't think Ole Miss is as good as they're ranking at number 11. I think they're overhyped a little bit. They don't really have a lot of great wins. They don't have a great resume or strength of schedule. I don't think they're a particularly elite team, but they're solid. That's a great win. But I think the biggest story for me coming out of that game was Texas A&M has their quarterback. Let him go play now. Let him go play. Right. Get out of his way. Yeah. I think, you know, we've talked about there being questionable decisions being made, you know, coaching by, by Jimbo and just like coaching calls in general. We've seen those pop up quite a few times over the course of the season of like, wait, why, why was that done that way? Right. But you're right. I mean, I think, and I, this is, this is someone that can grow with the program and that understands the game and sees the field. Well, it's just like giving reps can't game day, actually playing in a game cannot be uh, like replicated. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but it just takes real game time sec repetition. Yep. And that's, it's time to just let him do it. You you cannot replicate that in practice. You just nope. you just you just can't. Um, I've got a question. Simulate. About, I was looking for simulate. there you go. Simulate. We got Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, Will Levis. Lots of things here to, to wrap up. But I do want to say, uh, Jay, we are of course brought to you by Jay Dunn, jdunn.com If you're looking to make a change, I would say if Jimbo Fisher needs an example of how to run and manage a large company, I think he could do some some seminars and maybe some studying of Jay Dunn. Because Jay Dunn hires really great people that work really hard, that they trust, that trust them, then they let them do their jobs, and that is how they become a top 100 healthiest place to work in the United States. How, it's it's why they have five billion in annual revenue and offices all across the country, and it's why they want you to come work for them. If you are willing to buy into something bigger than yourself, they're willing to buy into you. Jimbo Fisher needs to study that and he say, does. look. I'm going to hire a coordinator I trust to run the offense because now I feel like I found my quarterback. Right. I need to get out of the way, put my he does ego need to do that. Put my ego to the side and let the organizational culture take over and let my people do their jobs. Yes. The good Lord said, "Let my people do their job." They <laughs> cut that out, please. No, I mean like cut it out as a clip. Um the you may be working right alongside Brian Harson. Oh man, no, he's going to Alabama. No, he's not. just no, no. Oh. He's gonna be the he's gonna be the Colorado head coach. Let's be I don't very think honest. I don't think Jay Dunn's looking for aloof. I will say that. 
<laughs> or complete jerks. <laughs> yeah. Not it's not really not, the culture. Not, not on part brand. Of the, not part of the J. Dunn. Uh, is Missouri good at football? Um, They flirt with it. <laughs> yes, they, they flirt do. with being good. Is that... <laughs> Is that how do you like that description? I feel like it's not saying Good. much, but it's saying a lot. No, like if they do, if the Auburn thing is going to haunt them forever, you miss a field goal from inside the ten yard line, and then you fumble without being touched on the goal line. To like they 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 won that game. Missouri won that game against Auburn, and they would be bowl they'd be getting bowl eligible this year if they had done that instead of just like piss down their leg against Auburn. Just uh, if you're a Missouri yep. fan, I feel my heart goes out to you because that's just so painful. That was a really good defensive showing against South Carolina. And while Very I apologized so. to South Carolina last week, I did it by saying, I'm not sure they're good at anything. And that showed up on Saturday against uh, yeah, that against did. Missouri. The cards did kind of fall in their place. Yeah. I mean, Missouri, you know, to passing the ball for 224, 225, something in their yards, no interceptions. Um, it's it's cleaner than some of the football we've seen from them recently. Um, yep. South Carolina is is not where they want to be, although they are confusing because they do pull things off, have pulled things off over the course of the season that we didn't expect them to. And then now we're like, oh, there you are. Um, well, and they, and, and, if, and they will be here in Nashville against Vanderbilt. And if they get that win, that gets them to bowl eligibility. And that's still overachieving. It's still, so. It is overachieving. Right. And South Carolina, I mean, you're you're on the right track. And the, the Beamer thing, as you have said and admitted, might work we have questions around it and this yep. week was not a good showing for them but i don't necessarily think that means that they're on a backward sloping trajectory i just think it was you know they haven't it's not all there yet um missouri will host kentucky that's been a weird game will levis looked the offensive line for kentucky is terrible will levis looked broken in that game he still mm -hmm. makes mistakes i don't understand the number one overall pick thing for will levis i don't get it I know why scouts like his skills. I think he's a first rounder, but I think he's a late first rounder. I don't understand top five, top 10, uh, but that's been a weird series and Missouri could get an upset here. And they also are fighting for bowl eligibility. They're four and four. And like you said, flirting with good. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting game there. I think Kentucky's only a two point favorite in that game. How about Florida and Texas A&M? One of the best games of 2020, two of the best programs in college football and just neither one of them. I mean, a combined, what, seven and nine right now between the two of them? I, I cannot remember. This is like Florida-Georgia being an afterthought last week. I just the fact that Florida and A&M is such an afterthought, I think, is, is you know, it's not necessarily great for the conference. Right. They're almost like neither of them are where they want to be, but one's kind of going towards the right direction. I mean, Florida is got some very talented people on that team. And I think Billy Napier is the answer for them. And it's just taking time. Like a lot of things do. Um, I mean, I know we haven't seen the best showing from Kentucky lately, but we've talked about them, you know, a lot about building the program the right way. And sometimes it happens like Josh Heupel just made it happen for whatever reasons and the stars align. And sometimes it just takes time. And I don't think Florida is going to take 10 years like Kentucky took, but I don't think it didn't happen in, you know, six months like Josh Heupel made it happen. Wait, no, no, year and a half. Second season? Year, year, year and, and a half. half. Yeah. Year and a half. Now, now, generally, when you take over a job in the SEC that has national championship uh, 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 you know, ability, it doesn't normally take very long. Like Kirby Smart, year two and three was up there. Nick Saban, year two and right. three was up there. Urban Meyer at Florida, two and three, he was up there. Josh Heupel, year two, he's up there. Like you, Gus Malzahn, I think it was year one they got back to the, the national championship. Like it, 
it, it, it this is a little bit more of a that's that's the problem with Jimbo Fisher being in year five is that it hasn't happened yet. Well, yeah, and that's like they're like sloping like Florida's like trying to is pushing up and A and M for some reason is seems to be rolling backwards down the hill. Yes, this is the context problem with this game. Florida has a better record, and if they go into A and M and win, I think A and M is a three point favorite. If they go into A and M and win, you're going to look at a winning Florida program at five and four in year number one with Anthony Richardson and Billy Napier, whereas A&M, sure, they may have found Connor Wigman, but we're talking about a three and six football team in year five. Like that is the difference. And you have everything you need. Yep. You are in the biggest, yep. rec- like there are, there is no better place to recruit for college football or for yep. football. than the state of Texas, you have one of the biggest, nicest stadiums in the country. You've got the most craziest and questionably cultish, but very enthusiastic fan base. Um, it's there just seems yep, it's like all there. it should work. <laughs> yep, no, it's all there. Um, and then of course what else we li- got? Uh, li- we'll wrap up here. Liberty at Arkansas. Of course, Hugh Freeze. We already mentioned him as an Auburn candidate, but against Arkansas, thirteen point dog. Arkansas could get to six and three. That's a pretty good Arkansas team. They should beat Liberty. I don't know who scheduled BYU, Cincinnati, and Liberty. In the, in, we talked about this. Maybe that's the gift that Jeff Long left for them under the Christmas tree when he when he got when he left for Kansas. Uh, I that that's an interesting game just because if he wins and Hugh Freeze pulls the upset on the road, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna ramp up all the Auburn fans. Like, look, he can beat Arkansas. He can beat Arkansas. We better hire him. We can, you know. So that's uh, an be- interesting like uh, push pull of morality in the coaching staffs of that game. If it has, <laughs> karma has anything to do with it. The Razorbacks will win it. There you go. Um, yeah, and then Auburn, Mississippi State. Just can't wait. Cadillac Williams. Hey, congrats to Cadillac Williams, man. Good to see him getting uh, the, the interim head coaching job at his alma mater. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's uh, cool. Otherwise, this has been by far the most exciting week of action I can ever remember in SEC, both on the field and off. Yep. What a great what a great week. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, of course, go to jedun.com, jedun, top 100 healthiest place to work. Please tell them we sent you, but go check them out. Peruse their career page. See what the opportunities are. I guarantee you there's something that, that that's there that you might like. They yep. can find they'll find something for you. So make sure you go check that out. Special thanks to Joseph Goodman, ale.com. Check him out. Seth Emerson with the Athletic. Check him out. Aaron, where can people find you? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Whew, what a big week. What deserves about you? A, d- deserves a big show. You can get to me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports as well. Turn on the YouTube page notifications and all that great stuff. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. LSU outright, everybody, at home in Death Valley against Alabama. I'm going to will it into existence. Have a great and spectacular and awesome football weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. Picks against the spread coming up on Friday as well. For Aaron, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Please stop getting married during football season. <laughs> <laughs>